Welcome to the Scoop and School podcast. Do they worry you at all? Are you worried? Ridiculous, Morgan. My boy. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Your host, Stephen Kahn. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to week 13 of the college football season. Uh, I've got a good show this week. Um, after I, I go through the week that was week 12 and, and highlight what to look for in week 13, uh, stay tuned for a conversation with returning guest. And now that she's a returning guest, I guess I can say friend of the podcast, Jessica Smetana. Um, she'll go into some detail about uh, a new way to watch uh, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish this coming Saturday, so you'll want to stay tuned for that conversation. Uh, but but getting into the football uh, on the field in Week 12, you know, the, the story of the week and, and potentially the story of the season has to be Tua Tagovailoa uh, dislocating his hip in the Alabama win against Mississippi State. And immediately uh, there were a lot of takes out there on the Internet. Um, mine is pretty simple. It's one that uh, seems to be shared by quite a few people. Um you know, for, first and foremost, it, it sucks that he got hurt. Uh, he was an awesome college football player. Um, it would have been awesome for, for everyone to get to see him continue to play out this season. And, of course, for him, you know, he's he's a kid with, with his future now sort of in doubt. Uh, everyone seems to think that a full recovery is, is going to happen here and he'll be able to go to the draft and, and we'll see what happens. But just, you know, certainly a crappy situation for him and just for college football fans. Um Anyone blaming Nick Saban for leaving him in the game at that point? Uh, Alabama had a, a big lead, um, but it was still the first half. I just don't buy that. If he was healthy enough to play in the game at all, because he did have the, the partially injured ankle. Now, we should remind everyone, he played on that bad ankle against LSU and played pretty darn well for the most part. If he was healthy enough to play at all, you're not going to pull him in the first half. I have never seen, no matter what kind of blowout we're looking at, I have never seen a football coach pull starters in the first half. Uh, we, you know, just a little bit later that day, Notre Dame was crushing Navy. Uh, starters played the whole first half and, and on both sides of the ball went out for the first series of the second half to kind of set the tone. That's the thing that Brian Kelly's always done. I personally think once you're in the locker room and you kind of shut the body down a little bit, I've got no problem bringing in subs to start the second half. And, and Nick Saban said as much. That was going to be Tua's final series uh, at the end of the first half there when he got hurt. But if he's healthy enough to play at all, uh, you're not just going to... He could have gotten hurt on the first play of the game just as easily as he could have gotten hurt on the last play of the first half. You know, I feel, I feel horrible, but... I just, and there's, there are plenty of reasons to be mad at Nick Saban and plenty of things to blame him for. Um, I just don't think this is one of them. He he played his starting quarterback. His starting quarterback, I'm sure, had no objections given everything we know about Tua. He is, uh, he's a determined guy and someone who I would imagine wants to play every snap that, that he's able to play. Um, and just a really unfortunate situation there. You know, Mac Jones is is not nobody. Uh, we'll see what he can do with this team going forward. I don't think Alabama had a whole lot of a chance to get into the playoff um, before this injury. This is certainly going to be harder because Alabama was really relying on the quote-unquote eye test uh, to, to curry favor with the committee and get into the playoff. And the eye test just isn't going to look 
as good with with Mac Jones leading the way at quarterback uh, as it would have with Tua. But you know, I think they've got someone like Western Carolina this week. That's not going to be a problem. And then they've got the Iron Bowl. So uh, certainly a chance uh, on a big stage for Mac Jones to show that there's not that much of a drop-off. Honestly, I think I could throw for 130 yards uh, with that receiving core. Um, so, so we'll just have to see uh, what the former four-star recruit is able to do. Um, looking back at the rest of Week 12 in no particular order, um, Michigan and Michigan State, uh, I, I joked about this being just the pettiest rivalry in all of college football. I think it's safe to say Michigan State peaked too early in this one, um, possibly as evidenced by the fact that they got off the bus wearing their helmets and successfully got off to a 7-0 lead. So I think they just kind of thought the game started like two hours before it actually did, um, got up to a 7-0 lead, and then ultimately got their doors blown off, losing 44-10. to Wouldn't be shocked if this was the end of Mark D'Antonio at Michigan State. I mean, obviously he's done so much for that program, uh, Rose Bowl appearances. They had, I think, what, that 13-1 and season uh, back in, in 2013. Um, but just an unwillingness to, to fire uh, longtime coaching staff members. Uh, and and he's, he's in a situation now where he's, he's going to be forced to either fire a lot of the colleagues that he's been working with for a long time or step away from the program. And it just would not be a shock, uh, especially not to get into it, but all that's kind of been going on around uh, the Michigan State Athletic Department. Wouldn't be shocked to see him step away uh, from the Michigan State program, uh, which obviously would be a a major sea change in the Big Ten. Michigan on the other side, uh, that offense is starting to look like what I and I think a lot of people expected it to look like. Shea Patterson just getting the ball out quickly, uh, you know, throwing short 5 to 12-yard passes and just spreading the ball around to a lot of different receivers. Um, and they're, they're, they're rounding into form. I mean, it's easy to say that when they've been crushing teams, you know, really ever since the second half of that Penn State game. But it's not just, it's not just the results. It looks better. Um, it looks like what we expected to see. And we'll see, uh, we'll see if they can keep it going in Bloomington this week uh, in their final tune-up before hosting uh, the Buckeyes in, you know, what's, uh, you know, it's just their next chance to knock off Ohio State. Um, LSU Ole Miss is a game I'll only mention to say that LSU's defense is a problem. Uh, LSU won this game 58-37. to um, The 37 points scored by Ole Miss, so much of it, done uh, damage with his legs. John Reese Plumley, the quarterback at Ole Miss, also the quarter, one of the two quarterbacks on my college fantasy team as I won in the first round of the playoffs in just a dominating performance, so thanks to him. Um, but Ole Miss scoring 37 points on this LSU defense, um, their last two games against decent teams, 14 points against Auburn and 17 points against Texas A&M. So the fact that they're scoring 20 more points on this LSU team than they did on Texas A&M, I think it's a real concern for the Tigers going forward. Um, I'd say they probably have the best offense in the country right now, but when they have to go up against a Clemson or an Ohio State or someone like that, their defense is really going to be tested. And we've seen against Texas and Alabama uh, and, and, and Ole Miss in this case, uh, they're certainly uh, beatable on the defensive side of the ball. Now, speaking of my fantasy team, just quick shout out to Jonathan Taylor, 
who I, uh, I got as a freshman and have been able to keep him throughout his entire career, uh, broke Herschel Walker's record this week. Uh, he's now the all-time leading rusher through his junior season. Um, I doubt he'll come back for his senior season. If he does, he's going to be a pretty good bet to become college football's all-time leading rusher. Um, but that's just, that's a hard record to break because if you're a really good running back, you're going to be out in three years anyway. It's more just uh, the, the solid guys at this point uh, that have a chance to, uh, to break those long-term records because they're sticking around for four years. Um, Ohio State and Rutgers, final score 56-21. Just throwing this here to say, hey, good job, Rutgers. You scored 21 points in a, in a Big Ten game against a legitimately good opponent. That's that's huge progress. So great job by Rutgers. I have nothing snarky to say about you at all. Uh, one of the biggest games of the day, Georgia and Auburn. Georgia wins this game 21-14. to They led 21-0 after three quarters so I'd say the final score was a little bit closer uh, than, than game flow would suggest. Um, Auburn's very first offensive drive uh, went 10 plays, 46 yards. They ultimately missed a field goal. Their next nine drives went a total of 127 yards. They had three consecutive punts, uh, turnover on downs, another punt, a lost fumble, and then three more punts. So after that first drive when they missed a field goal, completely shut down by the Georgia defense, and then able uh, to get some offense going towards the end of the game when, when Georgia went into more of a prevent. That Georgia defense is pretty nasty. Um, the offense continues to do enough, and they, they should have pretty smooth sailing into that SEC championship game. They did clinch uh, a spot in the game. At this point, it's, it's essentially wrapped up uh, LSU and Georgia. It might actually be mathematically wrapped up. Uh, I, I would have to double-check on that. Um, but I don't know that that's going to be an interesting game and, uh, and something we'll definitely be talking about in a couple of weeks, uh, Minnesota and Iowa, Iowa wins this one, 23, 19, uh, the Hawkeyes took the lead early and it was just too much to overcome. Uh, a major takeaway in this one, Minnesota quarterback Tanner Morgan got concussed late, uh, still unclear if he is going to play this Saturday against Northwestern. I am uh, I'm sort of betting that he does with with one of my picks this week, um, but we'll we'll get into that more later. Just speaking of my picks, I finally got off the Schneid. I won my first five of the day last Saturday. Ended up five and one, uh, going going five out of six. But I'm creeping my way back towards 500. Uh, I'm up to 17 and 22 at this point. So you know you you string a few more good weeks together, we could end up in uh, in positive territory by the end of the year if uh, if this hot streak can be sustained beyond uh, the current streak of one. It's one, one week streak. Uh, I don't think you get to say heating up uh, in NBA Jam when you hit your first shot. Um, probably biggest game of the night, and, and I would say certainly a contender for just most kick-you-in-the-face loss that any team or fan base has had to suffer this season. Uh, Oklahoma takes down Baylor 34-31. to uh, Baylor led the game 28-3. to Maybe football teams should stop going ahead 28-3. to um, And Oklahoma, you know, Jalen Hurts had, had two fumbles lost. He had an interception in this game. And he put the team on his back without CeeDee Lamb in this game. A 24-0 second-half score 
for Oklahoma. They pull out the win. Just so tough for Baylor. I, they were they were so good for a half, and, and then it just kind of seemed like they ran out of gas. Um, something we were talking about over the past few weeks. You keep living on the edge. You keep winning these close games, and eventually you're not going to be able to sustain that. That's exactly what happened to Baylor here. It takes a little luck. If you're not one of the truly elite teams, I mean, I, I think back to that 2012 Notre Dame team, which is which is a good example. It takes so much good fortune if you're not truly elite to, to maintain a perfect season, and uh, and Baylor just didn't have it uh, on that night. They'll get another shot, uh, most likely, if if they can avoid uh, another letdown here. They'll get another shot in the Big 12 championship, although with where they're ranked and, and what their non-conference uh, schedule looked like, it's going to be hard for them to get back into the playoff picture. Uh, just a few other games of note. Uh, Penn State and Indiana. Penn State won that game 34-27. Indiana acquitted itself pretty nicely, aside from the accidental uh, fake punt when the when this long snapper was on a different page than the rest of the team. Um, we'll see if Indiana, you know, they they had their short time uh, in the AP rankings, uh, but they've got Michigan coming in this week, so a chance to uh, a chance to make a bit of a bounce back statement there. Uh, Notre Dame beat Navy fifty two to twenty, score. The game wasn't as close as the score in that one. It was 45-3 to when the starters were pulled for Notre Dame. Um, not Nothing bad to say. Ian Book was awesome. He was he was putting balls in the money all day. Uh, the defense was incredible. The thing about Navy is, is you often just get to see a lot of defensive players that maybe aren't part of the, the regular rotation just because you may have guys who have been specifically uh, focusing on covering that triple option. So a lot of guys got to play in this game for Notre Dame and uh, and certainly a fun one to watch uh, as, as they won that one. I would say going away, but I guess Navy was making it closer um, by the end of the game, but they won easily. How's that? Uh, that about wraps up week 12. Um, I got to let you know, rentlikeachampion.com. Really good place to go if you're looking to find a place to stay during a college football weekend. It can be a college basketball weekend. It could be a bachelor party. It could be graduation. It could just be you deciding that you want to get away for a while and who knows, maybe you're working on a memoir. Uh, Go to rentlikeachampion.com. It's the number one website for people looking to rent a house when writing their memoir. Um... I don't think that's in their literature. I don't think they advertise that. But now I'm advertising it on their behalf. Rentlikeachampion.com. Use promo code SCOOP. That's S-C-O-O-P. They'll know I sent you. And you'll get extra good service because everyone over there likes me very much. All right. Week 13. What should we be looking forward to on Saturday? Right off the bat at noon, um, you've got number 8 Penn State visiting number 2 Ohio State. This is really the game that's going to determine uh, the Big Ten East champion. Last three games have been uh, decided by a combined five points. Uh, You go back to 2016, you've got that Penn State blocked field goal return to a touchdown. And both of the last two years, Ohio State has been uh, down and, and come back late to win by one each game. Um, Chase Young is back for Ohio State. And he's forced to sit the last two games. He was forced to watch his team. I'll just say it right now with that siren in the background. Chase Young, going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft this coming year and is going to be the best player from this draft class. 
in the NFL. Uh, Chase Young had to sit on the sideline and watch his team dominate some two weak opponents the last two weeks. I have a feeling he is really looking forward to getting back on the field, getting back into the backfield, and hitting some quarterbacks. I think Chase Young has a huge game in this one. Penn State's a very good team. Um, I would say they are properly rated at number eight. Ohio State is an excellent team, and they're properly rated at number two. And we're just going to see that difference between what it what it means to be number two and what it means to be number eight. Uh, I think OSU wins this one fairly comfortably. I think that 18 points seems like a lot. I'm not going to advise uh, on either direction for that one, but uh, I do think OSU wins this one fairly comfortably, um, you know, probably up by a score uh, throughout the entire second half uh, and, and not not quite the theatrics that we've seen the last three matchup between these two. A couple other nooners of note. Um, Minnesota goes to Northwestern. I only mention this because uh, one of my picks this week, I've got Minnesota minus 13 uh, in that one. Again, if Tanner Morgan plays, I think that's no problem at all. I think this could be in like the 35 to 7 type range. If he doesn't play, I still trust whoever Minnesota's backup quarterback is to score 17 points on Northwestern, and that could still be enough to cover in this one. Uh, Northwestern, congratulations. You beat up on UMass. Now you're back to playing actual teams. And, uh, and Pat Fitzgerald's antiquated offensive ideas probably just aren't going to get it done. Um, staying in the Big Ten, Illinois goes to Iowa. Uh, another one of my picks, I like the Illini plus 15 and a half in this one. Illinois is on a four-game win streak, um, and their two, their two losses where, where they've lost by more than the 15 and a half coming against Michigan and Minnesota. So, you know, two teams that I feel are, are certainly better than Iowa, um, although I, 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 I'm fully aware that Iowa just beat Minnesota. But again, uh, you know, neutral field, all else equal. Uh, Minnesota not coming off the biggest win in the last 50 to 100 years of that program. Uh, I do think Minnesota all in is the better team. And Iowa, um, there are only two big wins within the conference this year that would cover that spread, Rutgers and Northwestern, uh, teams that are clearly lesser than Illinois. I think Illinois keeps this one close. Uh, keeps it within two touchdowns. Even if it balloons up to two touchdowns, you know you're not you're not afraid of uh, of Iowa attacking one on late there uh, and, and losing by 14. You're still safe. So take uh, take Illinois plus 15 and a half in that one. Um, outside the Big Ten, still at noon, Oklahoma State goes to West Virginia. Um, I only mention this because it's a chance for Notre Dame fans to watch um, what is very possibly going to be the bowl opponent um, with with Oklahoma State. And also, any chance you have to watch Chuba Hubbard um, running back for Oklahoma State, I highly recommend. You can even play a drinking game and drink every time the broadcast mentions that Chuba is from Canada. If you play that game, you are unlikely to be watching the 330 games. Um, and speaking of 330 games... I teased it earlier, Indiana hosts Michigan. Uh, I like Indiana getting eight and a half in this one. Uh, this game has typically been close over the last four years. Margin of victory, 11, 7, 10, and 7, despite usually bigger spreads than that. I should also note that Indiana never actually wins this game. 
Uh, Michigan's on a 23-game winning streak in the series, so I would not advise uh, picking the full-on upset special, but I do like Indiana to keep it within a score. Peyton Ramsey, is he's, he's a guy that has experience. Um, they went and played really well at Penn State last week. This week, they have the comfort of being at home. I'm sure there'll be a lot of Michigan fans uh, at the game, but still just you know, a, a safer, uh, things, things aren't going to get out of hand, uh, typically when you're, when you're playing in your own stadium. And I like the, uh, the added bonus of the potential look ahead factor, uh, for Michigan, uh, looking ahead to that big showdown with Ohio state on Thanksgiving weekend. Um, also at three 30, Texas A&M goes to Georgia. Uh, this is the fourth of that five game gauntlet for Texas A&M. Uh, they still have LSU next week. And this will be a good test for the Georgia defense before uh, they eventually do see LSU in that SEC championship game. Wouldn't be surprised if, if the Georgia defense got caught sleeping coming off a big win early in this one. But ultimately, uh, I think they'll right the ship and, and get that win. Jake Fromm just continues to be, you know, I, I always hesitate to say professional because that could be uh, an inflammatory word to use with unpaid college athletes. Uh, but he, he just goes about his business like such a professional. He takes care of business, and uh, and I think he continues to lead the Bulldogs uh, straight to that SEC championship showdown with LSU. Uh, Texas visits Baylor. Baylor tries to keep its slim playoff hopes alive, and Texas just tries to salvage what's left of this season. Um, I mean, they could easily be looking at a 7-5 and five year here. I don't want to say that Texas's performance is tied to whether or not a certain Texas fan guest comes onto this show. Um, but without saying too much, I mean, do the math. Last year, someone came on the show. Texas, you know, nice turnaround season. This year, haven't been able to land that guest just yet. And Texas goes in the tank a little bit. I mean, hey, Matthew McConaughey, come on the show. We need you. Um, Texas needs you. USC and UCLA also play at 330. I think these teams still do the thing where they both wear their home uniforms. That's the only reason to turn this game on. Um, so, you know, watch for like 90 seconds. You see the powder blues versus those, uh, the Trojan maroons. I don't know if they technically call it maroon or if they have some fancy color name for it, but uh, we'll just go with maroon. Um, yeah, it's always fun when the two teams both wear their home jerseys. If they don't still do that, I apologize. You don't need to watch any seconds of this game. Um, and SMU goes to Navy. I keep talking about this AC, AAC race being close. I don't think any of you out there care. I think I'm just talking to myself at this point. That could be just a microcosm of this entire podcast. Um, Navy's a three-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. I was kind of surprised to see that. I thought they would probably be getting points. And if if something seems fishy like that, that's always a sign that someone's onto something I think Navy, just based on that number, watch for Navy to win this one big, like two scores kind of big. Um, we'll see uh, We'll see what happens with the midshipmen there coming off that loss to Notre Dame. Uh, at 7 o'clock, staying in the American Athletic Conference, Temple goes to Cincinnati. Uh, you know, I don't know. There's not a lot going on in the night slate, so if you want to watch Cincinnati continue uh, its quest for, for a Cotton Bowl berth, by all means, do that. Uh, but with this slate... Might be another chance to make some plans with your friends. Um, we do have Oregon going to Arizona State. Jaden Daniels, quarterback for Arizona State. Very fun guy to watch, so 
you know, if you're if you're at a bar or a restaurant with TVs, sure, glance up at it. Maybe position your seat at the table so that you can look at the TV, but you're still sort of looking just above the person you're supposed to be talking to heads. Um, that way you can continue to engage in conversation while using peripherals uh, to, to be aware of what's going on in the game and maintain that conversation. It's all about seat placement. You want to get to that restaurant or bar early and, and choose the right seat in that kind of situation. Um, and also, always uh, the caveat for Notre Dame fans, they need some help if they want to get into the Cotton Bowl, and both, um, or, or at least one of these Pac-12 teams losing before the Pac-12 championship would certainly help. So if Arizona can find a way to knock off Oregon, that helps Notre Dame, uh, and, and, and that works for me. Last game I'll mention at 10 o'clock, uh, staying in the Pac-12, another one where if something happens, it could help Notre Dame. Utah goes to Arizona. Unlike Arizona State, there's nothing fun uh, about Arizona that I want you to watch. Um, but Utah, on the other hand, their entire team is like the truck stick in football team form. Um, Zach Moss, another guy on my fantasy team, I'll hope that he can have a big game to to lead me uh, into a win in my semifinal matchup and, and on to the finals. Um, but yeah, I don't think Arizona has much of a chance in that one. But hey, it's 10 o'clock. If there's, if there's a game on and, and you're not doing anything else, might as well watch it. Um, for, I mean, come on. We've only got a couple more weeks of this. Um, all right. That's about it for, uh, for what to be looking for on Saturday. Uh, and now let's get into my conversation with Jessica. All right, joining for the second time this season, poss- I'll have to go back in the archives, possibly the, the first multi-time guest in Scoop and Score history, producer at Sports Illustrated, and maybe the third biggest Scary Movie 3 fan uh, in the world, <laughs> Jessica Smetana. Welcome back to the Scoop and Score podcast. I wish everyone addressed me that way. That was great. <laughs> um, so the last time we spoke... Um, I asked you if you thought Clemson had any problems, and you pretty clearly said no. And uh, I think you were right. They've they've been rolling nonstop yeah. ever since. Um, yeah, going through. I think we talked after the North Carolina game, right? Yeah, maybe North they might they might have played they might have played one game uh, after that. Uh, yeah. Okay, so they've scored forty five points, forty five points, fifty nine, fifty nine, fifty five, and fifty two in their last six games. Pretty good. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, average margin of victory at this point, 35.2 points per game. I think, like, right after we spoke, uh, Dabo, in, in one of his press conferences, even said, in that, and it's funny because I had done uh, the same research um, that he did, so, you know, Dabo, Sweeney, and I equally qualified to be uh, major college football coaches. He said, you know, we're, we're basically doing exactly what we did last year. Um, so, yeah, I think... Clearly, uh, you know, an overreaction to to one game against North Carolina. Do you think, at this point, they're the favorite to win it all? They should be. I don't know why the returning national championships wouldn't be, especially now that there's not going to be an Alabama rematch. Well, I shouldn't say that. There could be an Alabama rematch, <laughs> especially in the playoffs. Who knows? Gary but Danielson thinks that there should definitely be an Alabama rematch. I just, yeah, I don't see, I mean, I guess LSU and Ohio State are playing really well, but... Um, Clemson should, like, I think if you're the defending national title, national championship, um, winners and you return the same coaching staff and most of the same, you know, team, I know they lost a lot of players on defense, um, but you should be the, you should be the favorite. And like, I, 
they're not. But I thought it was kind of crazy that the committee put them number five in the first playoff ranking. And I just, I don't know why. I The whole ranking system kind of makes me go crazy when I try to think about, like, why things are the way that they are. So, I don't know. Why Why are they the way that they are? That's a, I think that's a, a pretty apt uh, conclusion for the committee in general. I think they are the Vegas favorite right now. Um, they're my only chance to, to win long-term money on this college football season. So I'm certainly, uh, I'm certainly rooting for them as, as my Tua Heisman hopes, um, went up in smoke, but yeah, I think, uh, I think they're in good shape. I mean, people are just overlooking them. Their defense is still loaded. I was talking with friends last week and it was just, just the, the question brought up was like, who do they have on defense? And honestly, I didn't have a ton of an answer. I mean, I know they have Simmons at linebacker who's, who's really good, but the names aren't there, but the production is certainly there. And uh, and on the offensive side of the ball, certainly plenty of names. So, uh, you know, shouldn't be any roadblocks uh, between here and the playoff. And then, I don't they, know. Well, they, they might not have names to the average, like, college football viewer the way that, like, Ohio State has Chase Young or had Chase Young, I guess. But, like, they still have Brent Venables coaching them. And, like, they have some pretty sophisticated defensive schemes going on. So, I don't know if you need names every single year. Like, you don't need a... a Christian Wilkins or uh, whatever, but um, Dexter Lawrence. I always get Dexter Lawrence and Dexter Williams confused. That is, they were I both like they were both to... playing key roles for your two favorite teams <laughs> in the same season. Right. So now I just try not to say either name. Um, <laughs> just avoid but, all Dexters. But yeah, I mean, Clemson's defense is still solid, so I don't know. Any concern about going into the playoff without having really been tested? No, because they have a lot of returning players who have played that caliber game recently. Um, I think if it was like a really young team that hadn't had, you know, playoff opportunities or competed in national championships, that would be the case. But a lot of those players are returning national champions and they know exactly what to expect and what kind of level they're going to be playing at. Yeah, and at this point, that coaching staff has had so much continuity. I have to imagine they've really got the whole uh, break leading up to the playoff thing down pat, so probably going to be pretty well prepared. Um, any other thoughts on Clemson before getting into uh, our, our slightly less uh, decorated Fighting Irish team? <laughs> um, no, no, no thoughts on Clemson other than I think uh, Dabo's out for blood now that he feels disrespected by the college football playoff community or playoff committee. So that's probably not that probably doesn't bode well for South Carolina in two weekends. That is uh, that is probably true. Um, Notre Dame. This has been it's been an interesting season. Um, I guess I can almost already hear people that know me laughing when I say this, but I'm a pretty even keeled Notre Dame <laughs> fan in in terms of. I set expectations, and it's going to take a lot for my expectations to change. I said ten and two before the season. I said ten and two after Georgia. I said ten and two leading into Michigan. I said ten and two after Michigan. It seems like a lot of fans, and even some of like the professional media people, meaning people you know that actually do this for a living and are not me, are really swinging pretty wildly game to game. Like going going into Michigan, it was for sure going to be eleven and one. And then out of Michigan, it's like, oh, they're going to lose at least one or two more games. And then we beat up on Duke and Navy, and all of a sudden Ian Book's awesome again, and this team can't be stopped. What A, what do you make of, of where the team is right now? And then why do you think that is, that, that people are kind of swinging so radically? It seems more so this season than, than in other years. That's a great question. I, I don't know, because other than maybe USC and Virginia Tech, Notre Dame 
has won all of their games that they've won by pretty big margins. Like, they've beaten the teams that they should beat by a lot of points. Like, New Mexico and Bowling Green and Duke and even Navy, who was ranked. Um, but it just seems like people kind of, like, forgot about them after the Michigan game, or fiasco, whatever you want to call it, um, and are kind of slow to give Notre Dame any credit now for kind of coming back from that. It maybe has something to do with the Virginia Tech kind of come from behind thing. Um, I don't really know. Like, if that had been a blowout, maybe the last two weeks would have been more meaningful for, um, to you know, winning those games. I, I really don't know. Yeah, but then, you know, Ian Books looks great against Duke and Navy, who are, I mean, I guess Navy's defense, the, the talk leading up to that game was how improved Navy's defense was, but certainly not... Uh, not two teams with all Americans uh, all over the defense, and and because Ian Book performs well, and I'm I'm an Ian Book fan, um, but all of a sudden it's like, oh, he's back, and and the sky's the limit next year, and and can't wait to have him back, and all that. I just I don't understand, you know, why why are all of a sudden we thinking that the offense really hitting its stride when maybe it's just okay, we're we're not great against good defenses, and we we are really good against bad defenses, and maybe we're just somewhere in the middle, and and I think it should be pretty easy. Um, both against BC and Stanford, but that doesn't mean that all of a sudden we should have our hopes up that we're going to blast someone in a bowl game. Yeah, but I still think if, you know, Boston College has probably one of the worst worst defenses Notre Dame's seen, if not like the third or second worst. Like, they're back behind like Bowling Green and New Mexico, I think, right? And their defensive efficiency. I can't imagine anyone's... So, you might be right, but no one can be behind a Bob Diaco coach Bowling Green game. That's just not... <laughs> okay. I don't. I don't believe that is possible. Uh, I think it's close. I think I read something today that it was close. You might have to fact check me on that. But No um, facts on this podcast. Yeah, like I think 10 wins, even if you're not, even if you lose your two probably biggest games of the season, I think 10 wins is still like very high tier compared to a lot of college football teams. Like you'll probably end up finishing in the top 10 or 15, especially if you win the bowl game. So, you know, like it seems like things maybe weren't great just because of the Michigan game, but um I, I don't know. I think that's still something to kind of hang your hat on if you're in Notre Dame. Yeah, and the 10 wins, as you meant, it, it shows stability, which is something that this team was severely lacking. It was, you know, under under Weiss or even, you know, back to Willingham and, and Davey. Great season followed by random terrible season. And 2016 aside, it does at least seem like there's kind of been a floor set uh, on this program under Kelly. And that is uh, that's a pretty good place to be. And, and you try and gear up for those better years. You mentioned going out, you know, just trying to win your bowl game. At this point, the Cotton Bowl is looking really unlikely unless a couple of Pac-12 teams uh, lose here and and Florida loses at some point as well. Um, So we're probably locked into the Camping World Bowl, kind of win or lose with with a couple of these games coming up. Not necessarily huge opponents. Um, You know, we've got uh, this game coming up against BC on NBC. you know, Mike Tirico and Doug Flutie calling the game. Doug Flutie went to BC. I'm sure he will make that known uh, quite often throughout the game. Um, it's possible that fans could be looking for another way to watch the game without having to hear Flutie more or less cheer for the Eagles. Do you have any uh, any suggestions for those fans? Yes, I would tell those fans to turn on NBC Sports where... Paul Burmeister and Ryan Harris will be doing the radio call over the NBC broadcast, and I will be in studio with some current and Notre Dame football players, potentially um, with some commentary. 
so I think that that would be a very nice alternative way to watch the broadcast. So what we've seen these kind of things before with like huge games, like national championship game, they do that like coaches room thing. This, the mega cast or whatever. Yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of variations of this. What can you tell us about? I mean, will what will the experience be like for the viewer trying to watch the game? I mean, is it just going to be kind of the idea of like watching with your friends and making jokes about what's going on in the field? Is it going to be more in-depth than that? What, what's going to be going on there? Yeah, I think the idea is like a combination of a fan cast and a, like, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, I guess. It's supposed to be, it's going to be a fan cast mostly, but it's like a limited commercial type thing. So, you know, while NBC is going to commercial for the various TV timeouts and, you know, timeouts and everything like that, injury timeouts. Um, there's going to be a show happening on NBC Sports. Um, and obviously you should watch during the actual game footage as well because Burmeister and Ryan Harris are really good if you've ever listened to Notre Dame Radio. But um, the idea is to just kind of add some extra, extra, you know, video and fan perspective and that kind of thing to the, like, the real broadcast or the, you know, TV broadcast. Sounds good. I might. Uh, it might be a situation where I break out the the work phone so that I can uh, so I can use data freely when I am uh, at the bar watching the game. Um, so, I would say with sports media jobs, more so than any other profession, it seems like you know whatever schmo at home just like thinks they can do that job. Um, probably as evidenced by yours truly hosting this college football podcast, despite uh, <laughs> my college career in including no varsity football or journalism classes. Um, so to kind of let, you know, random fan at home who thinks he can do uh, whatever you're going to be doing, what kind of prep goes into uh, this, uh, this endeavor for you as you, uh, as you call sort of, you know, call the, call the game alongside the game? Yeah, I think it's just knowing like the key players and storylines and like having something interesting to say um, and having, you know, a, a insider perspective that you think is not is maybe lacking or harder to find on TV and being able to kind of like use that and make it worthwhile for people in the audience. I think that like for a lot of Notre Dame fans the first two parts are come easy. Like everyone knows the storylines and the players and the little factoids about Kyle Hamilton's a freshman and Alohi Gilman transferred from Navy. Um, but like being able to kind of add more to that and talk about it from not a, you know, professional sports announcer voice and talk about it like a fan is I think kind of the, the challenge I would say. Now, do, are you, like, meeting with anyone leading up to it? I mean, I know, like, the, you know, Tariko and Flutie, for example, they get time set aside with coaches and players, and, and they go through all sorts of storylines. Are you, like, meeting with anyone leading up to this to do any kind of prep work or anything like that? Uh, no, and I think you'll see during the broadcast that there is not this, it's different, it's kind of set up differently where there will be more, um, like, sideline stories and video board like videos and stuff like that, that will kind of supplement um, that aspect of the broadcast and less of like, you know, childhood pictures of so-and-so that are kind of like, you know, stuff that Tariko will find during the week and bring as a point of emphasis into the broadcast. Got it. Now, my brother, who uh, formerly the number two here at this podcast, um, he is a professional sports writer. Uh, I'll give him. I'll give him a quick plug. He he is the beat writer for the Michigan men's basketball team. Does some college football uh, coverage as well over at M Live. Um, I often 
kind of joke with him that, you know, by doing what he loves, he's kind of ruined another thing that he loves. <laughs> you know, he can't he can't quite be a college football fan. I'm sure that he would have loved to have been, you know, going nuts in, in the crowd for that Notre Dame-Michigan game a couple weeks ago, but no clapping in the press box. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, so how do you balance that? Cause you know, you're, you're going to be doing something incredibly cool, but it probably cuts down on the white claw consumption before the game, I have to imagine. So, or, or, or maybe, or maybe not. What, uh, how do you balance that? <laughs> I know the white claw consumption part is definitely true, but, um, at least with this type of broadcast, they're not asking me to be objective. They're asking me to be a Notre Dame fan. Like this alternate feed is for Notre Dame fans. It's not for Boston College fans. Boston College fans can watch it. They probably won't like it. Maybe they will. Who knows? But um, so it's not really going to be like a thing where I need to be objective and throw away my Notre Dame face tattoos. And um, I will, though, not be drinking White Claw at the tailgate before. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's the the good with the bad, I suppose. Um, any any nuggets uh, for the game? Any any game prediction uh, before uh, before we move away from this? Uh, no game prediction. I put you on the, I I apologize. I put you on the spot here. Yeah, I didn't think of one before we started. That's okay. I'm kind of wondering, is the green jersey thing going to happen this weekend? No, we've got those, we've got those, uh, we, we've refused to put the 150 patch on our jerseys, so we're just doing it all in this one week with, uh, the black cleats and the, the mesh looking numbers. You're right. I completely forgot that was this weekend. I am so excited for the, like, semi-alternate jerseys. I was hoping for giant shoulder pads and like the super thin loose mesh jerseys that only (laughs) went like halfway down but uh I I suppose a uh a potential actual on-field disadvantage if if we went that route I'm not sure that uh Ian Book would have really been able to throw with those (laughs) old style Ron Paulus uh shoulder pads um anything else that you want to uh plug uh other than Notre Dame football? Yes, I'm actually writing a story for Sports Illustrated that will come out, I believe, next week. Um, that's about an ultra marathon I attended a little over a month ago in Tennessee, and it's really interesting and cool. And the format of the race is totally the craziest thing I've ever seen. One of the coolest sporting events that I think I've ever been to, and um, I think that it's a really interesting story and um, definitely a far cry from the college football coverage that I've been doing a lot of lately, but. Um, I think people will like it, so be on the lookout for that. We've got a faint siren in the background. Do you want to go out on a limb and say that it's the best sporting event that exists for for a hot take purpose? Uh, It is the most... What do I want to call it? The most... uh, Grueling? Grueling. I'll say grueling, yeah. The most grueling physical activity event I have ever witnessed with my own eyes. That includes uh, a lot of Notre Dame Navy games. Sounds like uh, some. It's longer than it's longer than like three miles. I, I assume. Uh, the winner this year ran over two hundred miles. Okay, yeah, um, something that uh, I think I would become very fatigued watching. Um, <laughs> okay, well, we will definitely be on the lookout for that. Um, I hope this uh, fire truck gets to where it needs to go in a hurry. And uh, thank you once again for joining the show. Thank you for having me. That concludes the Scoop and Score podcast. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul.